Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to another NREI's Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. All right, David, let's uh, start talking about these top stories and uh, what do you have for us today? So we got a couple of highlights to go through from the week. I wanted to talk about uh, a recent piece of exclusive research, the latest piece in in, in our our research series that that's looking at some trends among the brokerage firms. Then we got a couple other pieces about investment, one about a trend of what foreign investors are doing in the multifamily sector, a piece about um, how industrial investors are, um, how they're changing a little bit geographically, where they're spending their money right now, and then finish up with a piece on an interesting trend in the self-storage sector. All right, well, let's go ahead and start talking about the exclusive research. Uh, This this seems uh, pretty cool that you guys are doing this, right? Yeah, so it's part of, like, you know, we have this... We call it the NREI Research Series, and we do um, about you know one or two of these every month. And we've and some of the previous episodes um, kind of are are fully even fully dedicated to entire pieces of research. For this one, I thought it was probably best just to um, give some give you know the listeners some highlights and just kind of direct people to to go to the site to to read the full thing. But this is one about. Um, this one's a little different than some of our other ones. A lot of our other ones look at specific property sectors and then what what our readers expect in terms of what's going to happen with fundamentals or, you know, our occupancy rates going up or down or our investment sales levels going up or down for each of the property types. This one's a little different where we actually, um, and we don't do this one, we haven't done this one every year historically, but this one is about what's happening with the brokerage firms themselves um, especially in light of that, you know, in the last decade, at least, you know, there's been a bit of a realignment. There's been some some of the bigger firms. There's been a lot of combination, big mergers, a uh, handful of really big firms kind of dominating at the high end. And then the emergence of some smaller boutique firms to in, in the wake of that consolidation. So this was a chance. We, we use this as a chance to kind of like check in with so the survey goes goes to our readers, and we ask both people that work at the brokerage firms themselves, as well as sub, sub, subset some of the questions to people that work with their their clients, basically people that work with the brokerage firms, to get some of their sentiments about about the sector. So that's kind of like what what the study is. Okay, and so uh, from that, what what came out of the study? So we found that. In terms of the mergers that have happened, that we ha- we ha- we asked a couple of questions. Uh, one takeaway is that the majority of respondents think that we might see more mergers coming ahead in the f- future. That some of the that some of the bigger entities in the space may not be done. And I think that was like something like three quarters of respondents said they expect further consolidation. So that's one one takeaway. And then another question we had about about mergers um, was what are some of the biggest challenges when those happen? And we found that overall um, that merging corporate cultures was identified as the biggest challenge when these kind of big corporate corporate broker combinations are taking place. 
After that, a couple other tough concerns were, uh, and, and for, for emerging corporate cultures, that was something on, along the lines of two-thirds of respondents pointed to that as being a challenge. Um, after that, other challenges that got a fair amount of response, more, but more like a 30 in the 30% range, were things like employee retention, uh, merging of systems, and getting buy-in from employees when these things are happening. Were there any sort of uh, calls to action or any uh, any things that your listeners uh, really need to take away and say, oh, my gosh, I can use this research for? Um, I think in terms of, like, you know, the, that, that particular question on the mergers, I think it just underscores that the challenge, you know, that when you're doing these things, it's not something to be undertaken lightly and that, ah. they, you know, like, just because there might be synergies um, on the surface – the actual brass tacks of putting these things together does seems like it's created some problems. Uh-huh, or gotcha. Not problems necessarily, but challenges. Okay. Uh, what else? Uh, you said that this uh, not only talked about what you normally talk about, but also like big picture stuff with investors across the board, right? With, um, yeah, in terms of like what we asked, what kind, like, so on that front, what we did was we asked what kinds of firms and the investors or or uh, even companies that are leasing space, which kind of brokerage firms they prefer to work for or work with in the industry. So we found that generally they actually have a slight preference for working with, with the boutique firms, um, even though uh, a good chunk of them also still, I think for, for the most part, let me just rephrase that a little bit. For, so for the most part, they are working with the full-service real estate companies, but they have a slight preference to work with. I think they they get a better experience. It seems like they get a better experience when they're working with boutique or independent firms. So I think something like about they said in about half of the time, the the kind of when they're working on, you know, I guess the working on investment sales deals or working on leasing deals, they're working with the big boys. Um, but in terms of like the preference of or like of of who they who they like working with. They gave the boutique firms a slightly higher score, if that all makes sense. It does. It totally makes sense. Now, let's talk about uh, what the industry is doing in terms of being more diverse in, in recruiting a next-gen uh, sort of talent. Yeah, so that was this was a new question that we added to this year's edition. And I probably should, should mention, the, the last time we did this survey was 2015. Okay. So for um, when, when you, if people go to the story, a, a lot of the, some of the questions at least are, are compared to the 2015 results. This was a new question that we wanted to ask, which is we basically asked how good a job are brokerage firms doing, both increasing uh, diversity and in recruiting the, that next generation of talent to the industry and found that generally like the on both fronts people gave the industry kind of a fair score mm-hmm. like we gave like people were allowed to give it a score from 1 to 5 on like how you know 5 being excellent 1 being poor and the bulk of responses were 3 mm-hmm. so so people like think I so I guess you know not you know it's not abysmal but clearly people don't think the industry is doing an excellent job of either um, recruiting a more diverse base of people into the industry or in terms of like how they're getting younger people into the industry. So the, the one last takeaway is we asked what are the most important qualities to clients when they're working with brokers? 
and generally found that um, that the highest scoring, the most important things are both the quality of deals that brokers are bringing to them and a surety in actually closing those deals. So those are by far the two most important factors for clients. Then um, other things that were important but of less importance were things like you know just general familiarity and, and relationships that they may have with a broker, access to certain markets, um, the broker's track record, and then um, least important was just access to a broader uh, array of services from the brokerage firm. So I thought that was kind of interesting, especially since um, a big push in the industry has been about becoming full service, one-stop shops, providing a whole menu of services to clients. At the end of the day, it seems like clients, you know, they don't dismiss. It's not like they dismiss it. They 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 like that. They give it a good. They they still gave it a, a good score. But but at the bottom line is what's most important to them is, you know, quality of deals that you're bringing to them. Okay. Now, foreign investors. The next story: foreign investors ramp up multifamily acquisitions. What do we have there? Yeah. So this was you know just a a quick. This is based on some um, recent data from both. Um, companies like Real Capital Analytics and um, the brokerage firms like CBRE. Um, what, what what jumped out, I think, what, what's important about this observation is that this comes within the context of overall in 2019, we've had an environment in which foreign investment uh, in commercial real estate more broadly has declined. But in spite of that, in spite of there being less cross-border investment, in U.S. commercial real estate, when you look specifically at the multifamily sector, volume has been up. So it's kind of a counter trend to um, the bigger trend that we that we've been seeing this year. Now, when it comes to um, some some hardcore numbers here, your your article here really breaks down some of the larger deals and some percentages and in some overall uh, averages for some prices. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah. So overall, what we what with with the numbers from RCA um, said is that cross border investors have spent 16 billion in uh, U.S. apartment U.S. apartment property acquisitions um, in over the past 12 months, ending in the second quarter, and that's a 10 percent increase year over year. Um, and then more interestingly, when you look at the kind of deals they're doing. Is they tend to do they tend to do bigger deals. So it's an average. The average deal price is about forty three million dollars. That's twice as much as the broader industry average. Um, and they also paid an average of two hundred thousand dollars per apartment unit unit at an average cap rate of five point three percent. Those are also higher than the general averages for investments in multifamily property overall. So what I think that means, and it's not necessarily a big surprise, is that the kind of assets when multi the, the kind of assets that multi that international investors are looking for in the multifamily space are larger, high quality um, assets, prim, probably primarily in top markets. They're looking for trophy assets when they are buying stuff in the US. So that means bigger to so that that would explain why the average deal size are bigger. Um, why the overall price per unit is higher, and why the cap rate is lower. Is it okay for us to go into the top international buyers? Like, who's doing this? Yeah, so that was interesting. So in terms of the breakdown, um, a lot. what's interesting is of the 10 largest buyers 
from overseas or international. Five of them are are, are Canadian entities, and and in fact, the by far the largest buyer has been Brookfield. I think they've bought somewhere between five and six billion dollars worth of multifamily assets this year, and that's like way larger than than even number two on the list, which is also a Canadian entity called Tricon. They're somewhere between one and two billion, but then there's you know there's a few other Canadian entities, some um, Middle Eastern money. Um, and as well as Capital Land from Singapore and PGGM from the Netherlands, also among the top ten buyers. But people can see that that top ten list if they go to the to the website and read the full article. All right. So the next uh, topic that we're going to cover is industrial investors drive cap rates lower in secondary and tertiary markets. What do we have there? So uh, this piece is based on another recent piece of research, uh, also from CBRE, who. Um, we all quoted in the previous piece. In this piece, what I think the takeaway is, is that industrial investors are increasingly looking outside core markets, buying in secondary and tertiary markets in order to, to basically in order to, to get the, in search of higher yields, but in the process of searching for higher yields, they're bidding the prices of these assets up higher. So you're seeing cap rate compression at a faster pace in some of the secondary markets than even you're seeing in the market more generally. So that includes places like Louisville, Kentucky, Orlando, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, and Pittsburgh, uh, among some other places. But basically that in those kind of places, the cap rate compression has been between 12 and 14 basis points compared to, I think, more like five basis points for um, when you look at just the overall all-in national cap rate for industrial properties, you know, that includes everything. And the director of Global Industrial Insights and Logistics with CBRE had an interesting quote. Would you like to share that? Yeah, so that was Jack Fraker, who, like you said, is the the vice chair and managing director um, of Global Industrial and Logistics with CBRE. He said, there's a lot of capital looking for higher returns. So a flood of capital is going into those markets. He notes that the drop in cap rates in tier two and tier three markets reflect escalating values due to increasing demand and rent growth and little new supply, which has generated strong competition for the few assets available for sale. Hmm. Now, uh, some big news on the big box stores front. What do we have there? So, yeah, this was an interesting, it's hard to call this like a major trend yet based on the overall numbers, but it is something that, that was that is of interest. But, you know, one of the big trends in the retail, you know, it's been obviously, a, it's no secret that, that retail has suffered. There's been a ton of store closures. There's been a, there's a ton of empty big box space to deal with. One interesting thing that's begun to happen is that some self-storage developers are, are now, Taking some of this space that's at retail properties and 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 using it to to build self self storage assets instead. Since 2015, only like if you go back looking back a little further, since 2015, only about seven percent of self storage properties historically had been converted from from former retail buildings. Um, that now rate has doubled apparently. Of the of the development of new self storage properties, something more like fifteen or even up to twenty percent of them are conversions from former retail space. So I think like 
kind of unpacking that a little bit, what it means is that this has gone from being something that was happening just maybe on the margins to to something that's not, uh, you know, it's still the, the bulk of stuff storage development is ground up or, or conversion from, from warehouse space. But conversion of retail into self-storage is a growing piece of the pie. What about the location aspect of this? I mean, a lot of these big box stores were in great locations, weren't they? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, generally, you know, retail is in a high traffic area. Um, self-storage that hasn't necessarily always, you know, isn't always dependent on that because it's a place that you need to go. So that's why often self-storage is off, off the highway, off of a, you know, it's not in the middle of everything. But this is like, you know, this is a new thing to sort of see self-storage in a more high profile, high traffic, um, more accessible location. So I think it's interesting. And that's, and that's exactly the kind of locations that retail was in, would have been in. Anything that we missed on the big box store that you should, uh, you want to talk about? No, again, I would just direct people to the site. There's some charts and, and whatnot to go with it. So um, I think, you know, that's, it's more of like just this, this kind of interesting sub trend that um, I think people could be aware of. And I think also could be useful, for, especially for people that have, may have empty big box retail space and look are struggling to find a use for it. This may be, this may be a solution for them. What other headlines or other things should people be checking out your site for? Yeah. So it was a, a big, um, you know, a lot of other stuff happened this week. We had a viewpoint piece about multi-tenant retail offering net lease investors, attractive opportunities that's just written by somebody from the industry, just kind of going over some of the more recent highlights there. Um, we had a piece that went over what's going on with bridge lending, which is always an interesting sub subset of the financial market. And, you know, it's, it's always good to check in with them, see how, how aggressive they're being and how much, um, how much of a deal they're willing to cover and what kind of rates they're offering. So we just had an update on, on what, on what some of their activity has been like in recent months. An update on the overall CMBS delinquency rate, just the monthly reports came out for that. So we have just some bullet points and a chart charting with the what's going on with, with delinquency rates by property type. And lastly, um, the National Apartment Association put out a report on income and, and expenses data for apartment buildings. So we did some takeaways from that as well, which again is kind of chart bullet points, but just a good something if people want to get some of the some of their insights in a in a bite-sized form. Well, David, thank you very much for uh, walking us through all of these great stories that you guys have coming out. All right. Thank you. Thanks for your time. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And if you know somebody who really needs to hear this, well, it's super easy to share by clicking that share button below. So for everybody at uh, NERI and for everybody at the Common Area Podcast, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.